In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The story we find ourselves in isn't ultimately about us, but about the God who was there before anything else, the holy, sovereign, uncreated God who is the eternal source of life and ruler of all things. God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He created us in his image that we might fill the earth with his glory by flourishing under his righteous reign as our creator king. After flourishing in Eden under God's righteous reign for a time, Adam and Eve, God's first image bearers, rebelled against their creator king by following the evil one into sin, thereby plunging themselves and us, their descendants, under sin's curse. Having become worthy of God's righteous wrath, we were alienated from the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Consequently, we became alienated from ourselves, one another, and the rest of creation, so that neither we nor our world are what we were meant to be, having forfeited the flourishing God designed for us by rebelling against him. Before pronouncing judgment on humanity, God promised to fix what we had broken by sending a savior king to rescue us from the curse of sin and the evil one who had temporarily usurped God's kingdom on the earth. After thousands of years in which God revealed himself in many ways, especially through the nation of Israel, the creator king became our savior king in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue his people from sin and reestablish his righteous reign upon the earth. God's eternal purpose was to fill the earth with his glory by filling it with human flourishing that points to him. What Adam and Eve failed to do, God did through Jesus, the Savior King, who through his perfect life, sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension into glory reestablished God's righteous reign upon the earth by rescuing God's people from sin, death, and the devil. In so doing, God restored to us the life we were created to live, long to know, forfeited the fall, and can only rediscover in the God-man, Savior, King, Jesus Christ. We who are his experience this restored life in part in the present age and anticipate its fullness in the age to come, believing that in Christ, God's kingdom has come is coming and will one day fill the earth. Luke chapter 2 tells us this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Good evening, guys. As you heard at the beginning, we're a part of a beautiful story that is about God and what he is doing. And so as we 
real quickly come through our celebration of Christmas Eve. The reason why we celebrate is because of Jesus and him coming to earth. In fact, Jesus, when he comes, the very first kind of chance he has to publicly proclaim something, he says this in Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is this kingdom's purpose? He says again in Luke 4, 18 through 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, the, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God himself came to save us, to set us free, to give us eyes to see him, to help us to take part in, in being freed from oppression and helping others to be freed from this. Since this, it's the kingdom of God in this story that we find ourselves in, and ultimately we see that, that Jesus is the king, then I, what I wanted to do just for a sh- few short minutes tonight is think about and talk about just a few things about this king that we should all be aware of, a few things that are really important for us to understand when we're celebrating the birth of this king. The first one is that this king Jesus that we're, we're talking about, that we celebrate, he is God. We see this in John 1, 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word is eternal. The Word is not only with God, but in relationship with God. The Word itself is God. He's face-to-face with God, in perfect unity with God. In fact, we see a little bit further down in John, verse 14, where he says that the Word became flesh. That's talking about Jesus, so that Jesus is the Word, and that the Word is God. John 1.1 is making it absolutely clear, not only that the eternal existence of the Word But whatever we can say about God, we must and should say about Jesus as well. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says it this way. It says, he is, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That means before he ever stepped foot on this earth, he was a part of the creation. He never stopped taking part of creation. It says, and he is, it, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Even as an infant, he's holding things together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross, which brings me to the next thing we can know about this King Jesus. Not only is Jesus God, that God came himself in the form of Jesus, but that Jesus is the one that we can see, um, we can be brought peace to by the blood of the cross. So not only is this King Jesus God, but he is also our advocate. He is fighting for us. He is for us. My little children, John, 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, but since anyone will sin, does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 Timothy 1, 2, 5, it's not up there, says it this way, there's one mediator between God and men, and that is Christ Jesus. So not only is this king whom we celebrate the birth of this time of year, God, He is also an advocate. He is the one that is standing there making us right before God. He's the one that that spilled his blood on the cross so that we could have a whole relationship with God, so that we could experience a peace that every single one of us clamor and desire for. Everyone in this world wants a peace before our creator, God. 
Not only is this King Jesus God, but he is also our advocate, as well as our sympathetic high, high priest. The, the birth of Jesus, we use this word called incarnation. It it's, refers literally to like infleshing of the internal son of God. Jesus putting on our flesh and blood and becoming fully human. The author of Hebrews says it this way, and I love it. He says in, in 4, 14 through 16, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's one thing to know that he's our advocate, but to know that we can in confidence, in boldness, approach the throne room of God, a place we have no business or right being because Jesus is our advocate, but because also he is our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2, 17 says it this way. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is, able to, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What does this mean? The, the, the birth of Jesus, the, the, the incarnation, the putting on a flesh of, of fully God and fully man Jesus allows him to know what you and I feel in every situation of our life, except without sin. He knows what it's like to be tempted the way that you're tempted, except he has never fallen to that temptation. He knows what it's like to be sad, to feel anger, to feel joy. He knows all of those things. Jesus is not some deity in a distance. It's, it's God coming to us in flesh, not only as God himself, but not only as someone that can, that can take place and take care of our sins and, and bring us to a whole relationship with God, but someone who is sympathetic, who can walk with us, who can, who can experience life with us and shows us how to do it perfectly. These verses show us that in every respect, Jesus was made like us except for our sin. Everything proper to humanity was united to the Son of God. The Son of God did not only become like man, He actually became truly and fully man while still being fully God. So Jesus is a part of the kingdom that we are now walking in that is not fully here. And as the king of that kingdom, He is God, He is advocate, and He is sympathetic high priest. But not only is He that, He is a king that we eagerly wait for. It's interesting, every year, and I bet some of you kids right now, you can't wait for tomorrow. You're very excited because you're excited for people to see what you got them for gifts, right? Not because you're excited about what you get. <laughs> we, we find ourselves often in this world waiting. And I think what's lost on us today is, is that when Jesus sets foot in that manger, when he steps, when he's, he's born in that manger, this was the culmination of, of many people waiting for years for the Messiah to come. And now they, they, he came and he, he lived a perfect life and he walked this world and, and took uh, the punishment and, the, and the, the, the brokenness that we needed to take on the cross, therefore, so that we could stand whole before God. And now here we are finding ourselves in a waiting game again, waiting for him to come back to, to fulfill what he has done. See, we can know that God is trustworthy because the story that Lisa read at the beginning, in Genesis 3, God promises a Messiah to come. 
We see the verse Isaiah 9, 6 that we're going to read again at some point talks about this Messiah. 700 years before Jesus shows up, we see that God is keeping his promises. So when Jesus, before he even leaves, he says, I will come again. And so we now join, like our brothers and sisters before his birth, in the waiting game. But we don't just wait as in impatiently waiting for the clock to turn whatever time we're allowed to come out of our bedroom tomorrow morning. We don't just wait as in impatiently in traffic because it's ridiculously annoying this time of year. Now, in fact, biblically, there are, there are four Hebrew words, different Hebrew words for wait that are primarily used in the Old Testament. Two compound Greek words that are used in the New Testament, the most predominantly ones that are used. And each of these words have different meanings. So the, the Hebrew words, the first word means to, to bind together or to look patiently. Um, the second one means to hope or to wait expectantly. It can also be translated to trust or to wait and hope. The third one means to be still. The fourth one is for us is, is to long for. So in, so in all of the Old Testament uses of the word wait, it actually carries something far different than what most of us feel with waiting. It, it, it's an expectance, it's an eagerness, it's a, it's a stillness, a restfulness. The two primarily used words in the New Testament the first one is to mean receive or accept or to look for. The second is used predominantly, or sorry, the first one is the focus of this first one is used predominantly in the New Testament of the coming of the Lord in either his first in our incarnation, Christmas, what we celebrate, or his second coming the, when his kingdom comes to full fruition. But the second and most frequently used word in the New Testament means to await or to expect eagerly. And it's almost always primarily a prophetic of the return of the Lord and the glorious blessings that will follow. So see, church, we, we get a wait, but biblical waiting for this king who has proved to be trustworthy, who is our God, who is our advocate, and who is our sympathetic high priest, we can now eagerly wait with anticipation, not because we hope it may or may not happen, because we know it will happen, but we wait in a way that is expectant. It's an active Role. It means to be filled with trust and hope and joy and, and eager anticipation all in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 13 says it this way, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope, what, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set our hope fully on that. Hear me on this, kids. Those toys and those things you're excited about, they're wonderful, they're a gift, they're, they're great but your hope will always fall flat on its face if your hope is left in those. We, we wait in a different way. Hebrews 9 says it this way. The author of Hebrews says it this way. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second, second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who, what, are eagerly waiting for him. This eager expectation for Christ is simply a sign that we love him and believe in him authentic, authentically. It's faith that really holds on to Christ as a treasure and hope and joy. It's faith that makes us long for Christ to come, as one scholar says. So Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, that we find ourselves in this intermediate spot. We find ourselves holding on to, to live our life in this broken world where we see his, his kingdom crashing in in everyday actions when we see ourselves move and step and walk with the Spirit of God in faithfulness. And he's faithful. Jesus is faithful, and he's, he's our advocate, and he's sympathetic high priest. And today we celebrate the fact that God came, 
that he didn't leave us left to ourselves, that he came and, and fulfilled a promise that he began all the way back in Genesis 3. We celebrate now that he's here, but now we get to eagerly await and anticipate his second coming. See, when his kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven, when all restoration and reconciliation, like we read at the beginning of the service and story, when all of that's in place, he wipes away every tear, as Revelation 21 says. All hope is restored. There's, there's no more waiting for it. We are existing in the new heavens and the new earth. This is what we wait for. No more brokenness. Until that point now, we experience a life of in-between where we desperately need Jesus to be reminded that Jesus is God of our lives, where we desperately need to be reminded that He is our advocate, that when we do sin, we can take confidence and boldness knowing that we can approach the throne of God because He is our advocate. He is fighting for us, and He never loses. We know that He is sympathetic, so when we experience something, even if we feel like we are the only person in the world that is experiencing something at this moment, Jesus, as our sympathetic high priest, can walk side by side with you saying, I've been there, yet without sin. I did it. I conquered this so that you too could walk in conquered status. Jesus reconciles us to God. This is what we all long for, the creator of everything, coming to this world fully God and fully man, making it possible for us to meet and to know him so that we have hope and joy that surpasses all the brokenness of our lives and in this world. And we have this hope, everything else will pale in comparison. Yes, even what you may open tomorrow for Christmas will pale in comparison to this hope. Jesus' arrival brings us joy and a hope for all people. We feel that joy when we celebrate the incarnation, the becoming, the word becoming flesh at Christmas. And ultimately, when we look forward to Jesus' second coming, when everything will be made right, when we see that the, the plan that God has had us in, the story that we're a part of, has come to full fruition, where all things have been reconciled back to him. The, the choir is going to come up and we're going to sing some more. My encouragement and, and plea for you would be that you wouldn't let um, these, the story of Jesus coming be lost on you. You wouldn't let it become so familiar that you just kind of get me through this and just move on, but that your life would be changed for it. And if you're here today and you're like, I thought I knew of God, but I've never known God then I would encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here today and that is the story of your life, whether it's the story of your parents' life or one that you're coming into as kids, I would encourage you to, to ferociously go after it, to not be complacent or lazy in it, but to pursue the Lord in what he's doing and know that ultimately God is God. He came to be near us. He is our advocate. He is our, high, our sympathetic high priest. And he is someone whom we are to eagerly, expectantly, await his second coming. And until then, I pray that he finds us all very, very faithfully, restfully busy doing his will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for coming. Um, forgive us for always losing sight of this. Forgive me for losing sight of this, Lord. And God, wherever we find ourselves, when we hear this story of what you're doing to, to rescue and to reconcile, wherever we find ourselves in this story, God, I pray that we'd find ourselves at the spot that sits in full surrender to you as our king. And Lord, if there's, if there's someone here tonight that does not know that, God, I pray that they would faithfully give themselves to you. They would confess the sinfulness of their own life, repent and turn towards you. And God, I pray 
For those of us that know you, I pray that our faith would be emboldened and strengthened and encouraged because we know um, not only did you come, but you are coming. And so as we celebrate your birth, God, we, we, we want to be present in that celebration, recognizing that this is a promise being fulfilled. But ultimately, God, we know that there is more to come, and that's when you come again. And so we look forward with eager anticipation, more than we've ever felt for any Christmas morning at the second coming of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.